0: Good evening, everyone, and and happy feast day of St. Nicholas. Friends, uh, when I, back in 1718, when I went to Rome for the first time, when you guys sent me, I went to Tolentino. Uh, So I keep Father Guestino. He's the pastor of the Basilica of St. Nicholas, and it's a little teeny town, and they're Augustinian monks, so I was a bit of a shock to them um, because I wasn't Augustinian. Uh, but I was the pastor of St. Nicholas, uh, Tolentino, and uh, this weekend they will be having a huge celebration. The little town, they come together, everyone in the town come to the basilica, and they have large screen uh, outside, and they have music videos, and they dance, <laughs> and they eat, and they drink, <laughs> and uh, not drunk. They just They celebrate, and we will be doing the same thing this evening. When Mass is over, we will go outside and celebrate also together as community. So I remember him and keep him and the other monks in Tolentino and the people there in my heart and my prayers. My friends, our first reading, uh, Moses becomes the intercessor of those who have lost their way, they have lost their minds, and they're doing crazy things. And he becomes their intercessor in the same way that you and I in our baptism become intercessors for others also, in the same way that the priest and I, uh, we intercede in the deacon. But you too, as baptized Christians, do the same. You pray for others, you pray for the world, and we pray for the salvation of souls. St. Paul, in the second reading, because of his conversion, he tells you, I was a blasphemer, but not anymore. Just by his conversion alone, he becomes a testimony that Jesus Christ has come to save. Not to condemn. My friends, uh, we hear in the gospel, the, uh, oh, my, oh, I'm sorry, Father Phil. My friends, uh, Father Phil Rather is my friend, my good friend. Uh, you remember, whenever you hear me say, I talk to my priest friend about or my homie about, this is the one I'm talking about. So this is <laughs> Father Phil Rather. He's a pastor of, yes, absolutely. <laughs> He decided to come and um, hang out with us. He did tell me to keep my homily short because he wants barbecue. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's the pastor of our Lady de Fatima in the Magnolia neighborhood of Seattle. So welcome, Father, uh, here. Um, I do talk about you. I sometimes share the things that uh, we talk about. But uh, my friends, so in our gospel, the Pharisees and the scribes we are told are shocked by Jesus. Uh, he does something unheard of amongst Orthodox Jewish people. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. In the orthodox view of his time, sinners were to be avoided at all costs. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees, the translation of Pharisees is separated ones. They're separated from everybody uh, because everyone's sinners except for them. They are not uh, people that are welcomed as far as the Pharisees are concerned. They are not saved. and uh, In fact, I will go further and say the Pharisees, not all of them, but most of them would have thought people who uh, were unsaved were deserving of destruction. So to refute this, the thought of this by the religious leaders of Jesus' time, he tells them three stories, three parables, and ex- hoping that they will come to understand his behavior because he's welcoming sinners and eating with them. When As he does this, as he tries to teach them, uh, he tries to radically change how they view God and how they understand their own religion and, uh, for that matter, any other self-righteous Orthodox Jew of his time. He is teaching them that God does not avoid sinners, that God loves everyone, including sinners, and that God actively searches out the sinner in order that he may save them. The viewpoint, then, seems to be that sinners are not necessarily doomed. They are just lost, and God wants them back. And so we have three stories about loss. The story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. In each case, someone grieves over what is lost, and someone is searching in the hope of finding what was lost. The good shepherd leaves in 99, as we're told, and goes in search of the one lost sheep until he finds it, and when he does, there is great joy. We are told the grieving father goes to a high place, Presumably every day to scan the horizon looking for his son who left. That is why he is able to see the son returning when the young man is still at a distance because he's on a higher hill and could look down. The diligent old woman lights a lamp and sweeps her house until she finds her coin that was lost. My friends, and I have preached this way also, often the coin is represented as a coin that in their time uh, was not worth very much, like a penny or two. Um, Which begs the question, then why was she so frantic about finding it? And why did she use expensive oil to light a lamp? And why did she spend energy sweeping her floor trying to find it? So it doesn't make sense. So I'm going to have to correct my way of thinking when this uh, parable comes up again. But she lights the lamp so that she could catch a glint of the small coin she's looking for. And she sweeps the floor, hoping that she will hear the tink of it uh, on the ground and be able to find it. The coin may have been precious to the woman because it stood between her family and eating, maybe. You know She needed it to buy food. Or perhaps, even better, uh, the, it was precious because it had some type of sentimental reason attached to it, in the same way we would have a family heirloom. No wonder she then sh- searches so frantically for it. And no wonder she rejoices when she finds it. Jesus, in telling the three parables, says that God the Father is like that. God is like the diligent woman when it comes to searching for the sinner and rejoicing with his angels when the sinner is found and rescued. And God is like the good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go out and search in terrible places for the single lost sheep. And God is like the forgiving father who goes to the place of high ground and scans the horizon every day for the sight of his child. So my friends, I would hope all of you would pray and all of you would let these stories, these parables that Jesus told sink into your heart. Let it go beyond your brain, right into your heart, so that the lessons that he is giving may fill you with hope and joy in this time. They are stories about the love and longing on God's part and about our worth and our preciousness in his eyes. Each one of us should insert our names into the three parables to help us to understand and to, if you will, take ownership of it. My friends, because you are precious in the eyes of God and honored, and he loves you, to quote it exactly Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. I give people in return for you and nations in exchange for your life, Isaiah 43, 4. And further from another letter to Timothy from Paul, It is good and pleasing to God our Savior, who wills everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of his truth. So you are precious to God, and it is a great rejoicing when God is able to, as the woman As the Good Shepherd and as the Forgiving Father in the parables does, He's able to put you back where you ran from, where you left. Put you back where you became lost. And so God the Father is ever scanning the horizon with great love to see if we are finally coming to our senses and returning to Him. Where He, the Father, is not only waiting but runs out to meet us. That is the message of hope and love for our time. Those parables are as valuable today as they were back then.